You're listening to Recovery Podcast, a production of Volunteers of America. Today, we are honored to have Dr. Allison Cook on our podcast. Allison is a counselor, author, and gifted presenter involved in bringing together the wisdom of psychology with our deep need of spiritual formation. She is the co-author of Boundaries for Your Soul and is extremely gifted in leading others in transformational relationship. Please enjoy our time together as we discuss Allison's own journey into the recovery world and get her personal insights on finding success. I'm Nick, and you are listening to Episode 7 of Recovery Podcast. At Volunteers of America, we are a ministry of service, seeing broken people physically, emotionally, and spiritually healed and thriving in their lives. Our team brings you Recovery Podcast twice a month with stories, interviews, and insights for all those seeking to live their best life. It's our goal to inform, engage, and inspire all who listen. Subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you use to get it delivered on the first and third Wednesday of each month. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a review. It really helps. And now for this week's episode. Allison, I, I want to thank you for being here with us. Um, you've done already uh, a lot in the ministry here at Volunteers of America, and you're you're invested with us, and you've been invested in so many other things. Mm-hmm. So just really, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for your willingness to serve. I have loved being a part of the ministry here. It's a great ministry. Yeah, we appreciate that. Um, you have an amazing background of education and experience from your time as a congressional aide from Capitol <laughs> Hill, uh-huh, uh, teaching at Denver Seminary, uh-huh. and co-authoring the book Boundaries for Your Soul. Uh, congratulations on all those things, those things that have shaped you and your ministry. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do. I've got a question that that is, I think, pointed towards that background. Um I really want to know what drew you to serving in such a diverse way with these different roles that you're currently in. What where's the passion come from? Well, it started so right out of college is when I went to work on Capitol Hill. And in a way, it was one of those decisions that helped me realize what I don't want to do. Um <laughs> Okay. <laughs> um, I worked for a Wyoming. Uh, grew up here, and I worked for a Wyoming congressperson. And I, um, not not you know, it's it's a great calling if it's your calling. But I just found myself. I thought this isn't how I think about the world. Give me the person in front of me. I want to understand their soul. I want to go deep into that individual's life. And so I just started to think to myself, that's a calling, right? I'm I'm realizing my calling by being immersed with folks who are really gifted at something that I doesn't draw me. And so from there I went on to study counseling. I actually did a a, a quick um internship at the Wyoming State Girls School years ago um and loved it. I just absolutely loved it. Went on to yeah. Denver Seminary and got my PhD and then started in private practice and just haven't really looked back with I just my passion out of that. It wasn't just I wanted to understand that that person in front of me, their hurt. Why are they the way they are? What's happened to that person? Um, and I also wanted to understand that. So that's the psychologist in me, but I also wanted to understand that in the context of faith. 
What, where's God in that? How, what does God have to say about that? Where does faith come into that? So throughout my schooling, I brought together those two things, faith with psychology, because I want, I really believe, you know, um, St. Augustine said it and a lot of uh, John Calvin said it. We, we, we can't fully know God if we don't also know ourselves. The two yeah. things go hand in hand. Yeah. So that's really where my passion, um, came from. Sure. So, in that, we know that there's, um, again, our, our past experiences are a huge part of, of who we become and what we do, and, and there's DNA and some other things mixed in there, right? Our, our, our faith and where all that comes from. For you, was there potentially a, an experience? Was there something personally, something you saw that kind of drew you to this place of really wanting to understand people and, and that side of things? Yeah, I think some of it's DNA, some of it's nature. And then I think from my own, you know, sort of just the way I'm wired, you know, whenever I take tests, it sort of like comes out, that's that's who I am. But I think from my own life experience, where, where I found is I knew I was raised in a Christian home. I knew a lot about God. I knew the scriptures inside and out. I'd memorized them over and over. I didn't know myself. I didn't know who I was. And so that left a lot of confusion. Um, I didn't know how to how to bring my it, it sounds funny, but I didn't know how to bring myself and my struggles into my relationship with God. And so I just shoved all of that aside. But that's not the kind of relationship God wants with us. And so my own journey certainly came, my professional journey certainly came out of my own desire to why do I why do I sometimes feel really lonely? You know, I'm surrounded by people, and yet I struggled so much with loneliness. Why do I doubt myself so much? You know, I, I, yeah. I've got all this schooling, and yet I, I don't trust. I don't believe that I have what it takes to do what I need to do in the world. And so those questions just became of interest to me personally. And and knowing God didn't necessarily just take all that away. There was there was work I needed to do to understand some of my own wounds and some of my own areas of brokenness. Yeah. So when was it that you first dealt with the term recovery in that sense? When when did that really start to play a role in what you were experiencing or or learning? Well, one day in for me there was a, a moment in time I'd been living this way sort of two lives like you know, produce, perform, please as a Christian on the outside, kind of dying on the inside. And mm. I was in my early 30s. I was halfway through graduate school and I had a day off and I had a panic attack. I, I literally, it was like all of that sort of un, the way that I'd been really pushing all of my emotions aside and telling myself I shouldn't feel this way because I'm a Christian, right? Um, it just came gushing to the surface and I had a full-blown panic attack and started to experience extreme anxiety. And I had to change. I had to say, oh my gosh, I have to do this differently. And so I had to embark on a different journey. And my journey of recovery was one of recovering what it means that I am also beloved of Christ, Mm. that I don't exist for other people, but that God also wants to just be with me. Yeah. And boy, that that journey was a good. It's ongoing. I can still, you know, it uh-huh. is a process of recovery. I will still say that I'm a recovering people pleaser, probably for the rest of my life, because those muscles um, just are so well developed. And so I constantly, but 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 for the initially, it took about three years of just really reaching out for help, getting support, naming what was off inside of me yeah. about how I thought about God and how I thought about myself to really embrace oh no no I get to be a I get to be I get to receive 
from God. I have to receive from God um, to really learn how to be a more whole person. Yeah, yeah. And that's really the journey that so many people in recovery are on. Uh, they are again the the chemical addiction part has has ruined has come in and broken the person but what they're really discovering is those roots those things yes. that why did i begin down this pathway so for you you're coming to understand these in a different way not everybody necessarily struggles the same way but those core issues are still there Oh, yeah. And they're ingrained deeply. And so we get to the root of them, we dig them up, but then there's ongoing work because they seep back in at times. You yeah, know? they sure do. So I know many of our uh, recovery staff, our clinicians, and and some of our other folks who work uh, in that recovery and treatment uh, area with us have read your book, The Boundaries for Your Soul, and and use the concept with their clients and, and try to bring an understanding of it. And that's really amazing. I love that. Tell us, First, how you were inspired to create the Christ-centered adaptation of the IFS or the Internal Family System Model of Therapy. Why do you think it works so well? Yeah, so during that process of healing, where I essentially stopped seeing clients in order to focus on my own healing, which was ironic because for me, I'd been, you know, it's really codependency, right? We talk about codependency where I was hiding my own problems through caring for other people. Yeah, And so... About at the end of that three years that I talked about, where I really kind of looked into my own, did my own inner work, I discovered this model, the IFS model. And what I loved about it is it talks about, because it's sort of like, how do I know myself? It's sort of hard. We don't see, I don't know. And, and it, it, it talks about this internal family. We all have this family of parts of us. We, we're multifaceted. When, and I love the, if you've seen the Pixar movie Inside Out. It, mm. it it shows it, right? We have this fear part of us that surfaces. We have um, a sad part of us that surfaces. We have a part of us that's just trying to keep everything locked down happy. Yeah. <laughs> and they're all kind of you know, have their little voice inside of our heads in a way. Hmm. And so for me, this model really helped me start to notice what's going on inside of me right now. Well, there's a part of me that is really fearful. Okay, let's notice that. Let's bring that out into the light instead of what most of us do when we notice that is either try to shove it aside or beat ourselves up for feeling that way. And so this model really gives you a language for this journey into your own soul of learning the different facets of who you are that God loves and longs to get to know better. Yeah, yeah. And really, the 12-step process, as we look at that, there's a lot of aligning that goes along with that, right? Um, So many who work through and are working through kind of constantly, those who are in that kind of walk of recovery, right? They understand that they need to go back and walk through those 12 steps and be involved with that. Uh, Many talk about these negative internal voices and, and the shame and the guilt that comes out of that. How do you approach that? Shame is, a, is I think, such a critical um, voice everybody faces. And shame is, I think, the sneakiest one because it just, shame just wants to keep us isolated. It wants to keep us away from other people. It wants to keep us away from God. And so the first step that we talk about with any of these emotions, I think shame is one of the trickiest, is the first step in the book, we lay out five steps, is to focus on it. And that sounds so weird to people. They're like, why would I want to focus on this feeling of shame or this feeling of guilt? Well, if you think about it, when you focus on something and you put it out in front of you and look at it, you're getting distance from it. 
Mm. You're when you name something and say this is shame, you've actually created a little space from it. So no longer do you feel like it's all of who you are, you can take it out in front of you and look at it. And so focusing on those emotions actually is what helps you get a little distance from them. And then the second step that we talk about is is um befriending. And what we mean by that again, people are like why would why would I want to befriend this horrible thing I'm feeling? Well, it's it's the idea is we want to be compassionate with the part of ourselves that's feeling that way. Yeah. Because the part of me that is feeling so so much shame for what I did is hurting fundamentally. Mm-hmm. And we change in the context of that compassion and understanding. We don't change in the context of criticism or self-hatred. And this is how God is with us. God doesn't come in and beat us up. So when we notice the anger or the shame or the guilt and we can name it and then try to find that place to say, can I, can I be with myself with compassion? Because that's how God is with me. God, can you come in and be with me in this feeling with compassion? All of a sudden, our whole nervous system, our whole body starts to soften and relax a little bit. It's just a healthier way to be with yourself. Yeah, yeah. And that's so important for us to begin to work through those things. Now, I know through a lot of the work that I've done that I'll always recommend to somebody who's looking to to step into recovery, they've recognized the need and they're they're ready to make that choice. Boy, not to go it alone because yes. there's so many uh n- there's so much need for the accountability and the encouragement of others, but those there's also as you start to look into shame and guilt and some of these things, if you don't have someone there who can help you with those things, it can be dangerous. Uh have you ever seen that at play? Yes, absolutely because especially when these things have been buried under layers. And if you've been using, right, the whole thing is you've been numbing yeah. all of these feelings. Yep. And so all of a sudden, if you remove that coping tactic, all of those feelings are going to be huge. So you have to pace yourself. And, and, and in some ways, that was my case. Although I wasn't numbing with substances, I was numbing in other ways. Yep. And then that day, what happened, what I just all the numbing was ripped off and it, the, it was a it was a huge anxiety response because we store emotions in our bodies. And so I would absolutely say, especially if there's a trauma background, there's a lot of pain back there. You have to pace yourself and you need someone to come alongside of you. And we can do that. That's the cool thing. And this is why we call it boundaries for your soul. I've worked with lots of folks dealing with grief. And it's like, we're going to take your grief out a little piece at a time. Mm. We don't need to go all in at once. Yeah. There's a lot of it there. Yeah. We're going to take a little grief out. We're going to we're going to get to know it a little bit. We're going to marinate it in a little bit. And then guess what? We're going to put it back in a safe compartment inside of you. It'll still be there. Might be a little softened, might yeah. be a little tender. Hmm. And then we're going to come back to it next week. And so that helps you. This is where we get at the idea of creating boundaries internally with these painful emotions so that they're not just overwhelming us, but we're actually learning how to compartmentalize or to create boundaries in a healthy way with all that's going on inside of us. Yeah, that's so amazing. Without breaching confidentiality, could you share a story of success of somebody that you've walked through this process with and what the outcome was for them? Yeah. You know, one of the the things I worked a lot, I had a client who was super angry and I write about her in my book. She just, there was just so much anger. And we talked about the scripture that says, be angry, but do not sin in your anger. And and people always ask me, you know, do I really have to get rid of my anger by night? And, and, and my 
the way that I look at that scripture is put a time limit on your anger. It might be, depending on what happened to you, it might be years, right? It, it, anger can take a long time to work through. But what we started to do is say, let's let the anger out a little bit at a time. Mm. And she had a real severe history of neglect, of um, basically raising herself and being raised to raise her parents and just was so angry about that. And then had been bullied and nobody had been there to support her and had just been carrying this anger around for so long. I mean, this was years and years worth. We weren't going to solve it in one hour. So we just got on, okay, every week we're going to look at the anger. Tell me one more piece of the story. And slowly what happened is inside of her, she began to trust, oh, I'm going to get to tell my story. I don't have to be angry all the time because I've got a place every week where I get to talk about this part of me that's just so angry. And and over time, that part of her started to soften a little bit because there was trust that that story was going to get told. And so then she just started to notice, you know, I don't need to be carry my anger with anger with me all the time because and it sounds funny to say, but it's almost like that that anger knew, oh, I finally got a voice. I've got a place to show up, a safe place, a contained place. I'm not going to hurt anybody in this place. And so I I can kind of step back. <laughs> during the rest of the week and let you live your life. And so I was beautiful to watch that with her. Yeah. So yeah. It, it was a process. It took time, but she was able to build that trust to where once that story got told, and then once the story gets told, whether it's a story of anger or a story of shame, you then get to reclaim that story mm. and and tell a whole new story in light of what God has done for you in your healing. Yeah, yeah, I love that. That's where our testimony gets built from and grows. And, you know, a lot of what you're saying, the ability for us to share our story, that's why the the fourth and fifth steps even are so important, you know. Going back and really, for me, it was about asking God, bring this inventory to me. Yeah. There's so many things that I've even forgotten because I was blackout, you know, and, and all those things that I was going through. And as they came up, being able to go and then share with somebody else that story and, and just give that weight, to, to give it away. It was like garbage I was carrying around for so long. And so it, what a beautiful picture, being able to share. I love what you just said, because it reminds me of this woman at the same point she was talking to me about it, and then she finally told a pastor. And a lot of times, sometimes in churches, people will too quickly say, let's pray that away, when she actually needed to tell the story. And she had a pastor, and mm. I thought this was so beautiful, who came alongside her and said, I I want to carry that anger with you. Mm. And that was so powerful to her. So instead yeah. of saying, let's get rid of it, he was like, you, you should be angry. That was really hard. I want to carry some of it with you. And that just really started to free her. Oh, I don't have to carry this alone. Yeah, Someone sh- else is coming alongside of me going, yeah, I get it. I get why you were angry. That yeah. kind of thing. Truly sharing the burden yep. with another. Yep. It's really a God calling, a servant heart. Yes. Yeah. Love yeah. that. I love that. What abilities or practices do you find necessary in providing that true soul care to those who have been broken or lost in their addiction? I think the practice of, for lack of a better word, that you guys call it an inventory, which I love in the AA language, self-awareness, this relentless commitment to being honest with yourself. Um, 
and just it's like a stack a deck of cards just laying it all out on the table. <laughs> there's this, there's this, there's this, there's this. There's no no good comes from hiding. And so just and again, you don't want to do it all at once. You want to do it with the help of someone else, but just committing inside of yourself. I'm gonna take the time that I need to look at these different pieces of my story and these different pieces of who I am. I'm going to own it. There's no shame in that. Mm. Um, and so again, this is sort of the five, for, for us, we do a five-step model of focusing on the different aspects, extending compassion, inviting God into them, unburdening what needs to be unburdened, messages I, that aren't mine to carry, and then reintegrating those parts of yourself into healthier roles. So it's that's kind of the process we lay out in our book. It is very similar to the twelve step model, yeah. Um, in yeah. the sense of just really committing to a daily practice of what's going on with me today. Yeah, where am I at today? And just owning it honestly with God's help. Yeah, and I love the piece about you know bringing back those things. Then not not cutting them away and saying, oh, this is just dead and gone, but. Well, there's healing that's been done, and and I am who God created me to be. Yeah. But but there was brokenness, and it needed yeah. healing and restoring. And uh, how powerful, yeah, just necessary, yeah, truly necessary. Yeah. Um. So for you, besides the the formal inpatient or outpatient addiction treatment programs that people can attend, what other community programs or resources have you found to be helpful for folks on their journey of recovery? You know, I am always amazed at the number of free support groups that are out there. Based, a lot of them are based on the 12 steps that celebrate recovery groups. Mm-hmm. There's grief share groups. I, on my website, I've, every time I find one, I list them. There's a conquer group for women who have are dealing with emotionally destructive relationships. There's a lot of support groups for women who've been abused. I think those support groups, because a lot of times your friends – so let's say you have a counselor or let's say you're in a recovery program, but then you got to go out into the world. And a lot of times if your friends haven't or family haven't been through what you've been through, they don't know exactly how to help or what to say. And it's not their fault. So sometimes these support groups just provide you with a group of people who get exactly what you're going through. Mm, yeah, And it just gives you that place where you don't feel so alone. Um, so I'm a big proponent. I, I, I do like a lot of those support groups. There's a lot of online ones now. A lot of virtual communities where people are talking about specific issues and are providing that sort of safe space. Um, I think you can always find small groups and, you know, there are lots of resources that churches have. But I think when you're on the front end of recovery, it can be really helpful to be with other folks in a, in a structured way who who have some sense of what you've been through. Yeah. Empathy. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So many times we we want to get to the the meat. We want to you know peel away everything and and get to that core piece. And some of the people that might be listening, um, this might be the only podcast they hear or the opportunity for them to really receive. So if you had that that one thing that you wanted to leave somebody with that was powerful and impactful and possibly helped them get the recovery they needed or begin the journey, what would you say? You know it. It sounds cliche, but I believe it with every fiber of my being, and that is you cannot do it alone. You have to find someone to walk with you on that journey. And so I would just say ask for help. And it's so hard for so many people. Um, but if you can find that person, ideally, if you've got two or three, 
safe people that you can call. I'm struggling with this. Um, it could be a counselor. You know, a lot of times people will say to me, but who? Get a counselor if you don't know anybody. Yeah. Um, but you've got to have that person who knows you, who's holding your story with you, who's helping you see where you might be having some blind spots. I just so believe we're meant to do this work in community. Yeah. So I would just say, don't, don't let your, don't let yourself start to believe that I, I've got this. I can do this. I'm all set. I can just, you know, I've got God. God and me will be fine. It's like, yes, you, yes, you do, but you, you need a couple of other, at least one, a couple of other people. We all do. Everybody does. We're not cut out to do this alone. Yeah, that's right. We were meant to have partners and to be in fellowship as we move through this life. Yes. That's amazing. Thank mm-hmm. you for that. Well, I appreciate your time today. Would you tell us, and we're going to link it to the site as well, but would you tell us what the web address is for your site? Yeah, it's just my name. It's alisoncookphd.com is my website. And I send out a weekly blog every Thursday. I kind of send out an article on topics related to emotional and spiritual health. It's free. And I have a resources page, like I said, where I try to kind of catalog and keep as much information as I can about resources that I believe in. Um, so it's a great, I have a bunch of freebies that you can download about boundaries and about the book. So, um, that's the best place to find me. Sure. And you're on Facebook as well. Correct. Okay. So if somebody typed in Allison Cook, they They would would find me. They would find you. All right. (laughs) Well, I appreciate your time today. You are a blessing and the work that you're doing for the Lord and for others is just amazing. Thank you. Recovery Podcast is brought to you by Volunteers of America. If you heard something that strikes a chord, shoot us an email at recoverypodcast at voanr.org. Today's music is courtesy of Free Music Archive. This week, you heard tunes by Ketza, who also composed our theme music. Links to the artist can be found at our website. This episode was produced and edited by Nick Angeloff and Dave Shumway. Thanks for listening.